If you're a pastor, you are likely aware that there is a shift towards deconstruction and deconversion and a move away from established religion in our culture. That's probably no surprise to you. But what may be something that you may not be paying as much attention to is the decline in church attendance among Christians who still claim to be Christian and claim to be committed, but do not attend church as much as they once did and less and less often as time goes by. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at an article that Kerry Newhoff did on his website called 10 Reasons Church Attendance is Declining Even for Committed Christians. Because I think it's interesting the angle he takes is that we're not looking primarily at the deconstruction movement or deconversion movement. We're looking at people who would say, yeah, I'm a committed Christian, but I just don't go to church as much or at all anymore, relatively speaking, and he outlines 10 reasons why. And as pastors, we have to know what's happening, what the cultural trends are, so that as missionaries to our context, we can respond appropriately. Because just because we would love for everybody to attend <laughs> every week of every month, it just isn't the case for most people. So we have to know how do we call them to something more, but also meet them where they are and invite them into serving Jesus in a local church capacity. That's what we're going to talk about today here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast. My name is Lane. I am your humble host. Welcome. If you are new here, we typically talk about preaching and how to preach effectively with passion so that your sermons can make a bigger impact than ever before. So I want to give you something for free to say thank you for coming by today. Go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days and you can pick up my free 21 day guide to creating killer sermons. It's a three week, three step process that will walk you through how to create and deliver a compelling life changing message. So whether you've been preaching for a long time and you're just looking for a new resource to kind of look through and see what you can learn, or if you just got started preaching and you're like, I need all the help I can get. There's something in there for you and it's totally free. Preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. 10 reasons church attendance is declining even for the committed Christians. This is from kerrynewhoff.com. He says, declining church attendance comes up in a surprising number of conversations and no one's quite sure how to respond to it. The issue, even committed church attendees are attending church less often. So even people who would say like, yeah, I'm committed to the church, I'm committed to Jesus, I'm a follower of Christ, they are attending less frequently than generations past. Sure, the trend has been happening for years. Gone are the days when people attend 50 out of 52 Sundays. But the issue has reached a tipping point in the church over the last decade. Even monthly church attendance is declining. That's interesting. So where before you would say, are these people coming to our church, these people that call our church their home, are they coming here every week? Well, now it's like, are these people coming here every month? Like, <laughs> are we going to see them in September at least once? One recent survey found a decline uh, from 34% to 28% over two years of people attending one or two times per month. Wow. So it went down 6% in two years of people who go even just one time a month, one or two times a month. Reason behind church attendance decline are varied and multi-layered, but a few main culprits, including shifting cultural values, busier schedules, and scandal-plagued institutions. 
He says that he first wrote about this in a post called Seven Ways to Respond as People Attend Church Less Often, but the conversation persists and to many leaders feels more urgent. So this is a bit of an update. This isn't a post about why people have left the church. That's a different subject. This is the first in a series of posts about church attenders who love God, appreciate the local church, and are involved in the local church, but who simply attend less often. So why all this attention? This trend isn't going away. In fact, it's accelerating. It impacts almost every church, regardless of size, denomination, or even location. It probably makes a marks a seismic shift in how the church will do ministry in the future. Of course, church attendance is never the goal, but attendance is a sign of something deeper that every church leader will have to wrestle with over the next few years. This is an important distinction because I think sometimes People can look at those of us who have these conversations and they'll say, why are you obsessing about church attendance? Why does it matter that these people are going to church or not going to church? Well, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. One would be we're pastors and we care for the people in our flocks. So if they're not there, it's hard to care for them. It's hard to feed them spiritually. It's hard to lead them spiritually if they're not present. But also what he says is that church attendance is not the goal but it's a sign. It's kind of like a symptom. The less often someone attends, there could be something wrong that that failure to attend is just a symptom of. The first key to addressing what's happening is to understand what's happening. So why are even committed attendees attending less often? There are 10 reasons at least. 10 reasons why church attendance is declining. Number one, greater affluence. Money gives people options. If your church is at all engaging the middle class, the upper middle class, or a suburban demographic, an interesting trend is developing. The middle class is shrinking, but as the New York Times report shows, it's shrinking in part because more of the middle class is becoming upper class. Both U.S. and Canadian personal disposable incomes are at an all-time high. There are simply more affluent people than there were decades ago, which may in part explain why so many average people indulge their obsessions with granite countertops, designer homes, and decent cars, even without being mega wealthy. Naturally, this leaves a huge theological void about ministry to and with the poor, but it helps explain what's actually happening in the suburbs and increasingly with the reurbanization of many cities as the affluent move back downtown. I'm not arguing things should be this way. I'm simply showing that this seems to be what's happening. And again, people with money have options, technology options, travel options, options for their kids, and arguably that affluence may be one of the factors moving them further away from committed engagement with the mission of the local church. It's perhaps, it's perhaps fueling some of the reasons outlined below. This is an interesting thing to think about. So the more affluent a person is, the more options they have the less tied down they are to a particular location, to a particular schedule, the more they're gonna travel, the more they're going to spend their weekends doing other things, the more that church becomes just one of many options they have as a, as a result of their wealth. It's very interesting. Number two, higher focus on kids' activities. A growing number of kids are playing sports, and a growing number of kids are playing on teams that require travel. Many of those sports happen on weekends and affluent parents are choosing sports over church. It's as simple as that. This has been a thing since my youth ministry days. I mean, I, I remember when I was a student pastor for, uh, for seven years and every Sunday during certain times of the year, we had a lot of kids that played, you know, 
like private ball, like where they'd pay for it. Travel ball, that's what I'm trying to think. And they were gone and the whole family was gone. It's just the way it was. And even if they weren't doing travel, a lot of games were on Sundays. And so that, that becomes a thing that you have to, parents have to choose what they're going to do. The church has to figure out how are we going to still engage these families that that's a challenge for those of us who are in ministry. Number three, more travel. Despite environmental concerns, travel is on the rise, and most people are taking far more uh, than the old standard one vacation a year. More and more families of various ages travel for leisure, even if it's just out of town to go camping or to a friend's place for the weekend or the weekend at the lake. When people are out of town, they tend not to be in church. This is an interesting thing because... Where I live in Northwest Florida, it is a um, day of vacation spot, uh, Santa Rosa Beach, and it's a place that travelers come here, and every week there are people here that are on vacation, and a lot of them come to church. It's kind of interesting. So they may not go to the church that they left, like you know, if they live in Alabama or whatever or Georgia, but they come here, and a lot of times they'll be at church on Sunday. So it's interesting because as people travel more, I think the the old kind of way of like, well, I only go on one vacation a year, that's probably gone. And and what goes with that is people because they're spending more time traveling, they tend to kind of settle a little bit more in that area where they're traveling and go to church for the few weeks that they're there. So I think that's kind of interesting. Number four, blended and single parent families. Fortunately, more and more blended families and single parent families are finding a home in the church. So how does this translate into attendance patterns? Church leaders need to remember that when custody is shared in a family situation, perfect attendance for a kid or teen might be 26 Sundays a year. Similarly, while the affluent might not... Uh, might not be in church because of access to reliable transportation. Single parents, who not always but often struggle more financially, might not be in church because they lack access to reliable transportation. So here's the strange twist. People who have a car are often not in church because they have a car. People who want to be in church are often not in church because they don't have a car or because it's not their weekend for church. It's very interesting. Sadly, people who want to go uh, to church simply can't. By the way, I used to lead a church that virtually required a vehicle to get there. I loved how we often saw people with reliable transportation helping those who didn't have a vehicle. That's at least part a remedy to this problem. I think it's interesting that he shares that. And yeah, the more you are in your context aware of who are the families that are coming, what part of the town are they coming from, is transportation an issue, is finances an issue? Is is getting there on a Sunday? I mean, for one thing, if finances is an issue, it may be a thing where they have to work on Sunday because they don't have a kind of standard nine to five Monday through Friday situation. They might be in an industry that, requ- and that doesn't mean they don't have to struggle financially to have that situation. Every pastor I know works on Friday as well. I mean, on Sunday as well. So, uh, but there's all kinds of these issues that we as church leaders can be aware of because I think sometimes our minds, at least this was kind of the way that I seem to have seen it dealt with in the circles that I was in and just kind of the overall thing of like, oh, people aren't coming. Oh, people are valuing their sports. Oh, people don't care. They don't make it a priority. And it becomes like this big kind of shame fest. And maybe there's some room for admonishment and room for challenging people to a deeper level of commitment. But I think with some people, it may be as simple as just finding out what are their challenges with 
being there and maybe it's something that they want to solve. They just don't know how. They, they don't have a remedy. And maybe as a leadership, you could facilitate some type of solution. And I think a transportation issue like that could be something that could be resolved. Number five, online options. With the rise of online church, social media, and ubiquitous tech, there have been more opportunities for people to access church without being there. There are pros and cons to online church, and there's no doubt that churches with a strong online presence have seen it impact physical attendance. But whether or not your church has online options doesn't make the issue go away. Anyone who attends your church has free access to any online ministry they want. And this is so true. Online church is here to stay, whether you participate or not. This is one of the things, and I'll I'll say this, because every single person in your church has access to any preacher they want, any worship sets they want, any Bible studies they want. That is such a gift that we've never had. But the challenge that it presents is that they're always going to be able to access better preaching than you. And not to say that you're bad. You're probably great, especially if you're listening to Preaching Donkey. But, But they can just access like five different pastors and just take their pick into, uh, of their five favorite top pastors and listen to them every week. So you're one of many. And even if you're awesome, you kind of just like, they can get the best preaching. They can get the absolute best, most well-produced, well-written worship songs. And they can listen to them all the time. So if they're like church junkies, sermon junkies, worship junkies, they can access anything they want, world-class, whatever. This is why your church and particularly your preaching has to be contextualized to your community. This is the way you fight this. I don't mean fight in a negative sense, like you're not competing with these people. That's a bad way to look at it. It's the only way you can show that there is something different at your church and something worthwhile for them to be a part of that they can't necessarily get online and they don't need to even try is by contextualizing it. It's about your community and about them living out their calling, multiplying their faith in their context, in your community together. That is the way. So the illustrations you do should be localized. The stories you tell should be localized. So as much as you can to shrink it down to that community so that they start to think, when I go and engage with this church, I'm discovering how to live out my calling here. The guy that I listen to that lives in Texas and his church is in Dallas and I live in Florida, I'm I don't I'm not thinking about Dallas. That's his thing. Or the person that I know that you know the pastor that I listen to that is in San Diego, well I'm in Kentucky. I don't know anything about San Diego. So what you want to do is be where you are and allow your people to kind of visualize this is what it looks like contextually in our community. The cultural disappearance of guilt. Number six, when I grew up, I felt guilty about not being in church on a Sunday. The number of people who feel guilty about not being in church on a Sunday shrinks daily. (laughs) That's kind of funny. I mean, it's sad, but it's so true. I regularly meet people all the time who haven't been in months, but love our church. For the record, guilt avoidance is not a good reason to go to church. And if your church is relying on guilt as a motivator, you need a new strategy. Well, honestly, you've always needed a new strategy. And I think he's right. This is why I don't think shaming is the way to go. Like, shame on you. You're not making church a priority. The chances chances are they either know that or they don't care. You have to give them a compelling reason to engage with 
your church in community and be a part of it. That they're not just wanted, but they're needed. And you don't do that with guilt. And especially since cultural guilt is just disappearing. And I think that's a, a good, good way of saying it. Again, none of this, none of this is to say, and I think Carrie would say this, and I'm saying it too. None of this is like, we're not saying this is the way it should be. I don't think that's his intent, certainly not mine. This is just kind of an assessment of like, here's the way it kind of is. And as missionaries in a context, a cultural context that is changing, we have to respond to reality, like the way that it actually is. Number seven, this is an interesting one, self-directed spirituality. People are looking less to churches and leaders to help them grow spiritually and more to other options. We live in an era in which no parent makes a visit to a doctor's office without having first Googled the symptoms of a child's illness and a recommended course of treatment. Just ask any family physician, it drives them nuts. Similarly, when was the last time you bought a car without completely researching it online? Of course, I would always do that. In an age where we have access to everything, more and more people are self-directing their spirituality for better or for worse. And I'm glad he said that because that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, the, we want people reading the Bible. We want people studying the Word. We want people to access good, healthy sermons if they are into that, or the Bible recap type stuff, or worship music. All of it's awesome. Great books, great podcasts. No, that's not bad. But in my view, that kind of stuff should be, in an ideal world, supplemental, not an alternative. So it supplements the church. It's like it, it kind of helps them in their personal growth, but it doesn't replace the, uh, the engagement with the local body. Similarly, another characteristic of the postmodern mind is a declining trust in and reliance on institutions. Absolutely. The church in many people's minds is seen as an institution. I don't actually believe that's what a church is. I think it's a movement, not an institution, but many churches behave like an institution and the postmodern mind is just instinctively moves away from it as a result. Number eight, failure to see a direct benefit. People always make time for the things that they value most. If they're not making time for church, that tells you something. Even among people who say they love church and who say they love your church, if declining attendance is an issue, chances are it's because they don't see a direct benefit. They don't see the value in being there week after week. That could be because there isn't much value, <laughs> gut check, or it could be because there is value that they simply don't use or don't see. That's so interesting. So they don't see a direct benefit of going to church. That either means that there's not a benefit. In other words, you're doing services. I used to joke back when I was on staff at a church and we were kind of frustrated with how the church was kind of stuck. We were kind of standing still as a church, not really growing, kind of plateaued and starting to decline. And we used to joke about how we were having services so we could have services, right? We weren't really on mission. We really didn't have a clear vision. It was more just about, well, we got to have a service on Sunday so we can keep having services. You know, we're going to have a service this Sunday so we can have services next Sunday and this Sunday after that. And kind of the joke was, that's a really uncompelling vision. Like nobody just wakes up and says, I'd like to go to the church so that they can, can continue to self-perpetuate. That's not, that's not a compelling reason for people to go. So there has to be value. And there also has to be a perceived value. He said it could be because there is value that they simply cannot see. So perception of value is really important. How are you as a church in your communication 
inviting people to see what's happening as a church. How is your church impacting the community? How is your church using its resources to benefit the people in your community? How is How are lives being changed, marriages being restored, parents being equipped, kids coming to Christ, adults coming to Christ? Those kind of things are really big to celebrate and show so that they can see when I come, I'm a part of something that's bigger than me and something that God's doing something here that's pretty cool. Either way, failure to see direct benefit always results in declining engagement. So what are you doing or not doing that leaves people feeling like there's not much value? It's a great question. Number nine, value, valuing attendance over engagement. When someone merely attends church, the likelihood of showing up regularly or even engaging their faith just decreases over time. At our church, I find our most engaged people, people who serve, give, invite, and who are in a community group are the most frequent attendees. More and more as a leader, I value engagement over attendance. Ironically, if you value attendance over engagement, you will see declining attendance. Craig Rochelle has some interesting stuff to say about this, that he says when he first started Life Church, their measure of success was all about attendance, how many people were at each service at each campus. But as time went by, what they started to realize is that what really matters was engagement. How are people engaging with the church throughout the week, on Sunday, online? And that was a better indication of health than just how many butts were in the seat on a Sunday or a Saturday. So I think it's really good to look at, is our priorities geared towards attendance because all of us love to preach to full rooms, right? I mean, nobody wants to preach to an empty room, right? It, it's just... It's better when it's full. But a full room of unengaged people is not ideal, and that will decrease over time. I would much rather have a really, really engaged smaller group than an unengaged large group. So how do you engage your church? And again, so much of this goes back to what is your vision? How strong is it? What is your mission? What are you calling people to? How are you inviting people to be a part of it? And how are you showing them the results of it? Number 10, a massive culture shift. All of these trends are witnesses to something deeper. Our culture is shifting seismically. Church leaders who fail to recognize this will not be able to change rapidly enough to respond to the shifts that are happening. So he says, if you want to know more how the culture is shifting, he outlined 15 characteristics of unchurched people today. I will do an episode on that uh, in the future. But for now... I think what, what would be helpful is to think about these 10 things, and maybe one of these stood out to you. Like, for example, maybe it's what is the direct benefit of my church, and how am I communicating that to people? Or maybe it's that, that there is uh, online options, right? So they can see and do anything they want. So how is my church localized to this area and something that is unique that they can't just find online because it's in their context. And maybe that needs to be kind of more pronounced in the way you lead your church. I don't know what it is, but I would say this article is 10 places to kind of start to say, if people are kind of just casually attending, barely showing up every now and then, but they call it their church, is there a way to re-engage those people? And is there a way where people, when they come to visit for the first time, they want to come back, they want to come back again and again and again. So this was pretty eye-opening to me. There's things here that have kind of been true for a long time, but I think he puts 
as Kerry Newhoff does, he puts it so concisely and clearly that I wanted to show it to you so that you could benefit. Let me know what you think in the comments. Until next time, remember if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.